I'd like for you to open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 32. I am quite certain you're familiar with this verse. And if you aren't, you soon will be. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, he began with the word and, which is a conjunction, joining what was said before with what he just said. And he said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Now, there is a reason that people continue. In other words, there's a reason people stay with something they have heard. And Jesus essentially says, if you stay with what I have said, you continue in this way, living this way, and doing things this way, not only will you be my disciples, but the effect of living that way will have a change in your life. Now, last week, I taught on ignorance and its power. Today, I want to talk about knowledge and its power. Because if the devil is behind ignorance, and he is, and what ignorance does to people, you realize that the devil operates by keeping people blind. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, one of the things the devil does is to blind the minds of those that are lost. The word, they hear it, they see it there, but they can't continue in it and have the effect of salvation work in their life because they don't see it. Something's lacking, something only God can give. And therefore, they remain in dark. And the Bible would describe that kind of darkness as ignorance. It doesn't have to be. You remember we looked at three key verses last week about ignorance. Let me just do a rerun here. One is in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 where it says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now, God is talking about his people. Not heathens somewhere in other countries, but God says, my people are destroyed. They're not experiencing what I want them to have, what was given to them. They have gone astray, and they're destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And so we think, well, why didn't God send somebody to teach them? Ignorance is simply a lack of knowledge. What the word means is a lack of knowledge or information. Then why didn't God send somebody to teach them? Well, he did. He did send people to teach them then. He sends people to teach today. But people in the church, and I don't mean this ugly, you know I don't, people are still ignorant. They're always saying, well, I didn't know that was in the Bible. They've been in church all their life. Either somebody has not been teaching them or when they should have studied on their own to seek first the kingdom on their own, they didn't take the time to do it. They left it out. But see, the word ignorance comes from the word ignore. When you ignore something, you simply set it aside. It's not important. I was in college. I went to college. I graduated from college. I got a college degree. Now, what I learned in college, you could put in a wallet, large print. I passed the test. I heard what was said, but I learned nothing. Very little of what I heard followed me in my life, and that's true with Christians. We're good at going where we think the Word is going to be taught. We're not good at retaining it or continuing in it. 
And consequently, we live far below the level that we have. And the devil's making fools of a lot of Christians because they don't know it's the devil. They're ignorant. They're blinded. They can't see that what's going on is of the devil. And if somebody doesn't teach us, then we'll continually have things like that happen. Didn't Paul write in 2 Corinthians 2.11 that we are not ignorant of his devices? Then how were they not ignorant of his devices? Because somebody taught them. They begin to recognize that when you see this, it's the devil. When you see that, it's the devil. When you see things like this, it's the devil. This is what the devil does. He's behind this. He's behind this. It's that dark spirit that controls people through ignorance. It's the power of darkness. Back to Hosea 4, 6. He goes on in that verse to say, because you have rejected knowledge. Now, they heard it. They just didn't want it. It just wasn't what fit into their lifestyle or their plans and pursuits. They didn't retain it. They heard it, but they didn't retain it. They were like multitudes today who are ever learning, but never connecting, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And he also said in that same verse, he said, because you have set aside my word, rejected my word, I will also reject your children. Then when we wonder why so many kids have no interest in God later on in their life, 15 years old, they begin to depart. And we wonder why, what's happened? Is the church lacking? Have we not fed them or taught them? They've been taught. They just didn't want it. Maybe they didn't want it because they didn't see it in their parents and it wasn't a big deal to them. It's not a big deal to them. So they rejected it. And God said, I reject your children. Or we looked also in Isaiah 5 and verse 13 where he said, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Well, they were taught. They heard the warnings from God. They just didn't want it. They denied it. They set it aside. They ignored it. And consequently, when the enemy came in like a flood and began to capture them and really did all the bad things that they did to them, they had no power against it because what they could have had was success and victory and peace and the power of God in their life, but they didn't want that. They wanted their own way, so what they got was captivity. And then the other one, if you will just briefly turn over there to Ephesians 4. You're not that far from it. In verse 18, Paul said to those that are lost, as we said, who walk in the vanity of their mind, because most people are mind-ruled, and the mind rules the senses, or the senses rule the mind, the way you want to do it. They're either led by their passions and their feelings and all of this, the vanity of their mind, the way they think, the way they put things together in their life. Some of them are called brilliant and smart, but the way they put things together is just the opposite of what God wants. And that kind of spiritual ignorance takes intelligent people to their grave. But then he says in verse 18, having the understanding darkened. See, understanding is a word which I would describe as a connection between what you hear and what makes sense to you. Remember Paul said, I pray that God would give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, opened up. That is, when you hear something spiritual, it is the work of God to make you see it until you go, hmm, 
Well, now we often call this conviction. Our conscience is now coming into play. Oh, God, I see that. Or if you're lost, you've never been saved, and whether in a church service, a radio program, reading, or just a conversation, somebody says something about being saved or how to be saved or how to be born again, and you'd never been bothered by that before, never been affected by that before, and then all of a sudden you saw it. You saw yourself lost. It never bothered you before. It does now. Godly sorrow comes into play here. And you begin to grieve over the fact that you're undone. You're lost. You're cut off from God. You didn't care before, but you do now. That's the work of God. This is what God does. The grace of God that brings salvation comes to people, but not everybody wants it. They love darkness in John 3. He said, men love darkness better than light. They choose that more than they choose God, but it comes. You'll hear it in your lifetime, those of you that are sitting here and out there. You're going to hear about it. It's going to come to you. There's a day of appointment or many days, and you're going to hear what God has to say. Now, whether or not you want it or you want to continue in it or make application of it to your life and whatever that's going to cost you, that's your business. Everybody has a will. Everybody lives by that will. We call it choices. You can choose to accept you can choose to reject. You can choose to agree. You can choose to disagree. You can choose to half-dress, or you can choose to overdress. You can choose to eat all day, or you can choose to fast. You live by your choices. And if you want to be ignorant of the truth, just don't pay attention to it. Assume you're all right because you go to church or because you join church or were baptized. I think I did. Until the day God opened my eyes and I began to see I wasn't right. Then it bothered me. Never been bothered before. That's the work of God. This is what God does. Now, he said in Ephesians 4.18, having the understanding darkened. Who does that? Who darkens one's understanding? The devil. Was it not the devil who began this whole thing by saying to Eve, hath God said? Is he not the spirit of confusion where he puts a question mark today where God puts a period and challenges everything God said, where you're not sure what's right or wrong anymore. People say that. Their understanding has been darkened. They're not able to connect and be sure that what they've heard is what God said. They don't know. I don't know about that. I'm not too sure. Well, I know. This is the work of the devil to keep you in this uncertain place. This uncertain place is what James spoke of Remember James 1, he said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. If God gives liberally and upbraideth not, but let him ask in faith without wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. He's never real sure if he can, if God will do this, if he ought to do this. Well, maybe God didn't mean it that way. Well, perhaps I, maybe I'm off and maybe I've been mistaught. He's never sure. I mean, he's got a serious problem looking at him financially, physically, mentally, socially, his family, his kid, and he's just really not sure what he ought to do. He's been told what to do, but he's just not sure. The word's never had an impact. He's never got a hold of the word like that. So he comes to a time in his life when the power of the word is not working for him because somebody keeps him off kilter or her. You know what the next verse said in James chapter one? 
Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. We don't relate to God on maybe, perhaps, I'm not sure, I hope so. It's all yes and amen. It's that narrow, folks. It really, really is. But let's go back to where we started. Let's go back to knowledge. He said here again in verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. All the things that could have been yours, all the hundreds or all the thousands of promises in the Bible that you could have enjoyed in this life, you did not because you were cut off. And you were cut off by one word, ignorance. Now, I want to stand here and tell you this morning before we get started on our subject There's nothing more important for you to get a hold of in this life as a Christian than the Word of God. But it does you no good just to hear it. You've got to receive it. You've got to pray that God open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. That's what the psalmist said. Open my eyes, Lord. Don't let me just have ears that hear that can't hear or eyes that see and can't see. Open my eyes that I may behold. Wow, I see it. Wondrous things from thy law. Because this is the way the word of God changes us. This is how knowledge brings us to that level that we win and we don't lose. Now, I didn't get to this last week, but one more thing. Jesus said in Matthew 22, he said, you err not knowing the word nor the power of God. Well, the power of God is in his word, if you believe it, because that's where faith comes from. But Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you know, you're quoting to me what you heard in Sunday school class, but you don't know the word of God. You err. So error is because of ignorance. Error is a distortion of truth. It looks right, it sounds right, it seems right, but it's not right. Then didn't the Bible verify this twice in Proverbs? There is a way that seemeth right. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, and the end of those ways are the ways of death. So the devil's behind that too, isn't he? Would not the devil then be the author of error and deception? Is he not the one who is behind what misleads? The word deceit. The word deceit, planeo, a Greek word which means to cause, to wonder. It's not walking in a religious direction. It's wrong. It's just wandering off into something that's not exactly what God said. And you're misled. And it leads to death. But let's go back to knowledge. The power of knowledge. And there is so much in the Bible. I can only pick a few verses this morning to speak about because there's an immense amount of information in the Bible about knowledge and what it does and how it works. There's many, many verses, because I've looked at a bunch of them this week, that says, we know, or I know. And then it tells something after that, something about God, which is good. Which, if you did not know, the devil would keep you in darkness. Knowledge is light, and turn to 2 Peter 2, and light is good, and light is what leads us. Thy word is a light unto my path, a lamp unto my feet. Knowledge is good. Knowledge produces insight. 
When you know something, I don't mean hear something. I want to make that distinction. When you know something, not just hear something, it has a profound effect upon your life. For example, in Ephesians 1, Paul said, I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Remember that? In the knowledge of him, which means the eyes of your heart being enlightened, that you can see something you hadn't seen before. It's a life changer. It rearranges your life because of insight. In 2 Peter 3, 7, he said, there are many who are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. How can that be? How can you be busy learning and never knowing? That ought to bother a lot of people. We ought to all think about it. We should all ponder that. Ever learning, spending a lot of time listening, searching, but never getting it. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You can quote it, you know about it, you can tell me what chapter it's in, but it's not working for you. Titus 1 and 16, he said, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and so forth and so forth. How can that be? How can you profess to know God? You have to know facts about God. Just to say you know him. And they say they know him, and yet their life is an example of uh, they don't know him. The way they live, the way they act, the way they talk, is it, God doesn't influence that. They live like people that don't know God live. So there's something about how we learn. How you're listening this morning, how you're receiving what is said. When you walk out that door today and you go into wherever you're going today, how what you've heard affects your life will determine whether or not you're learning or just hearing. Because God wants us to learn. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, why? so that I can walk in thy truth and not have to say, well, I don't know if I have to. Should I do this? Well, I don't know anybody else is doing it. Well, that seems kind of extreme. I don't know. No. Teach me your way so that I, whether anybody else does or not, though none, go with me, I'll walk in your way. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he said, and besides this, now, what does he mean by this? Besides this. Now, let, we have to go back and get that. Besides this. Well, now, what he said with this was verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through, through what? Through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, or of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grace and peace multiplied to you out there through the knowledge of God. Verse 3, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through what? In other words, he doesn't just give it and not tell you about it. We find out that he gave it because we heard it. What if I told you God has given you 
already given to us in this room and out the yonder, whoever. He's already given to us anything and everything that pertains to this life and godliness. But it's only through knowing. You know, we're just being here doesn't mean you got it. Joining that particular church doesn't mean there's some kind of an osmosis. It just comes into you. No, sir, you still got a mind. You still got an enemy. But you also have a Savior. And he is willing to give you and show you and open your eyes to things that will free you up from the bondages of your past. Always feeling down and down. I'm going to do gripe and complain. He's got deliverance for all of that. Everything that pertains to godliness, everything that pertains to living right and living clean has already been given to you, but it's in the word and you've got to find it, but it comes through knowledge. Are you with me? You've got to know it. You can't assume it. Well, you know, I'm in the Christian church here in Charlestown, Indiana, where I grew up. Therefore, uh, you know, our the disciples of Christ had no creed but the Bible. Therefore, I'm all right. No, you're not. I wouldn't. Bible didn't mean anything to me. I hoped it did because I was in a place where they said it did, but it didn't. Because I have a personal responsibility to hear, to listen, and to think, meditate, ponder, and believe. But if I do, then these treasures, all these wonderful treasures, everything that pertains to life. I really could speak the rest of this morning just on those two things, life and godliness. Look at all the things that people are dealing with today, this morning, in their life. Money, God has a lot to say about that. Health and healing, he has a lot to say about that. Family, relationships, solving problems, he has a lot to say about it. Everything that pertains to life is in the book in your lap. It's full of treasures. It's full of all the solutions to everything thing we're ever going to face in this life, plus all the spiritual preparation that pleases God. It's all in there, and how to bring it out, it's in there. It's in the Bible, most popular and least read book in the world, the Bible. But again, verse 3, according as his divine power has already given to Shelbyville Christian Assembly everything that pertains to their life and a godliness, but it only comes to the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5, whereby. What does whereby mean? We talk about these promises or Jesus? Well, both. Promises come from Jesus. All the promises of God were given to Abraham and his seed, not seeds of plural as of many, but as seeds as of one, Jesus Christ. All the promises of 2 Corinthians 1 are in him, Jesus, yes and amen. amen. And he turns around and, and Peter here says, now all these promises come through the knowledge of him whereby are given unto us. Look at this. You gotta like, you've got to like this. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you may be liberated from the greed and the avarice and the sadness and the sorrow and the confusion of this world you're living in. God has given you everything you'll ever need and given it to you exceeding abundantly. Is willing to open even the gates of heaven and pour a blessing out on his people that is like good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. 
This is who we're serving. This is who we're talking about this morning. I want to know him. I want to know his ways. I want my life to be filled with what he has promised. I would like to prosper, not because I want to be greedy. I'd like to prosper because it's a promise God made, and it certainly pleases him for that promise to come to pass. We give him the glory, don't we? We do that because somebody somewhere in our past taught us. Somebody had the courage to teach us without fear of being fired. And we sat there and squirmed in our chairs and didn't really like it, but we couldn't deny it when we looked at it because this is how God works. We couldn't deny that God was speaking to us. Now go to verse 5. Having said that, and besides all of this, besides all these promises that give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue what? Knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness. Verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound, that would include knowledge, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in what you know. In other words, what you know begins to be what you do. It is evident you believe that because you do that. This is the fruit of learning what he has to give you. You learned what he said, you begin to act this way, live this way, and the fruit of your life evidences that. doesn't please people all the time. People gnash their teeth at you whenever you're living right, and they're not. Because you remind them of what they should be that they're not. You were willing to do it, they're not. The fruit of your life should glorify the Lord. But the Bible says, if these things be in you and abound, you will neither be unfruitful nor barren in the knowledge of God. I think that's important. I think it's really important because God wants us to be free. And he wants us to live right. He wants us to do right. He wants us to take advantage and recognize that it is the goodness of God that is willing to open minds that don't deserve to be opened and put into your heart some conviction about your life, about the way you live, about the way you're doing, the way you're acting. When you read the word and said, this is the way you walk in it, and you're not living that way, but that word is in you, what does the word in you do? It becomes a little siren. It becomes your conscience. It tells you what you're doing is wrong. Because he that knoweth to do good, if he doesn't do it, to him it's sin. So God is teaching us not only how to live apart from the sins of our old life, but to live in a way of righteousness and approval with him. And so we learn and we grow. We learn and we grow. And as we grow, we find favor and grace with God. Grace begins to abound towards us because you're willing to draw closer to God. He's willing to draw closer to you. And more and more he shows you and more and more comes your way. God is good all the time. And you think of it, the likes of me and you, and I was the worst of us. He is willing to take us, miserable, wretched, worthless, no value lives. Take them out of those wretched areas that we used to live in. Plant us in his courts. 
and begin to water us and feed us, deal with us, cleanse us, refine us, causing us to grow and to become what he can finally say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And he did it. He did it because he showed us things. We were inspired. I think the Holy Ghost, when the Holy Spirit comes in, Jesus say he shall sh show you things, teach you things. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit is a great illuminator of man's minds. That's his work, to open your eyes. And when you begin to see things that are good, if you're a wise man, you see what is good, you begin to say, well, amen. Why wouldn't I want all of that? So go back to the Gospel of John again, and let's look at two or three things this morning about the power of knowledge. In John chapter 8, where we started, we looked at verse 32. It said, you shall know the truth. He said, the truth shall make you free. When the Bible says the truth shall make you free, it implies that we weren't. That there are things in your life that bind you, hold you down, and suppress your life. Or keep you from living the way you should. And the Bible said, you shall know the truth. And the truth has the power of liberating you from bondage. Are you with me? Setting you free. In verse 36, he said, if the Son, therefore, shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Let me ask you a question. How free is that? If the Son, as Jesus, makes me free, how free am I? I'm free indeed. So a whole lot of the old ways of my life the devil used to fire up don't get fired up anymore because I've been liberated from it. The cross came into my life, crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust thereof and all of that. Walking with Jesus is a walk that wasn't easy, sometimes very lonely, criticized a lot, misunderstood, but you made a decision. You walked this way. The Christian church I grew up in was not happy or inspired by my Christianity. I wanted to live it. I wanted to talk about it and sing about it. And there's just so many people that never had any interest in that. They ignored all of that in their life. And they had come to a time in their life as older people. They weren't interested in it at all and were bothered by the fact that I was. But I was like a bird let out of a cage. Man, I found I had some wing. Glory to God, let's go. And begin to learn and study and, and learn things and had to keep talking about it. Oh, boy, how wonderful all of that was. But you see, when we get free... When the Son of Man makes you free, here's what the Bible said. Stand fast. You remember this song we sing? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty whereby Christ has made you free. So you get the word freedom and liberty as a package. When you're set free, you are liberated. And that sassy little attitude, that little whiny little thing you used to have, God confronts it. Hey, in a heavenly way. Hey, or however he would say it to you. Hey, you. And he gets your personal little sweet attention on Sunday morning. 
and you're just being split in two, there's a fire burning, you're all tore up because you've been identified. Your attitude just got exposed. God said something in the word and the understanding of that word came clear to you and you saw yourself like God sees you. And now for the first time, it bothers you. If you don't do something about it, it'll quit bothering you and you'll say like you were, though you'll be judged for it. Because he that knoweth to do good and so forth. And so when you begin to get free and begin to be set free and you begin to learn about who you're dealing with out there, you stay free. Why is the devil not able to snare a lot of Christians? How is it that the devil can snare some Christians, control their lives, but not control others? Or let me say it like this. How is it that there is a multitude of Christians and Christian assemblies that enjoy Halloween? And there are some who are horrified by the idea that you would even think about doing it. What's the difference? Who's behind Halloween? Witches, goblins, demons, scary things, haunted. Who's behind that? Ask one of the little ones. The little ones can tell you who's behind that. We don't need to ask a adult. Ask a little bitty one. Who's behind that? They'll say the devil. Well, how come we don't know that? And so we shun the appearance of evil. I don't want anything to do with that. Anything that would glamorize, glorify that. I ain't going to dress my kid up like a devil and send him out to beg. What is wrong with the church? They're lacking knowledge. Or they have heard about that, but see it as a little extreme and backed away from it, disregarded it, ignored it, and went on their merry way and opened themselves up to another spirit. A spirit that leads them away. I hope you believe that because it's true. Paul said, if someone comes to you and preaches another Jesus or you receive another spirit, you gladly put up with that, he said. I come to you preaching Christ and you want to put me out. But that's the way people are. That's the way people are. But back to this thing about knowledge and about light and God dealing with us and opening our eyes and our hearts. If we don't deal with the devil and the forces of darkness in our life, they will eventually get a hold of us. But Paul said this one verse I quoted a while ago. He said, we're not ignorant of his devices. We're not in the dark concerning the devil. We know who's behind that mischief and evil and wicked imaginations and all the lust and the greed and the foolishness that's in this world today. We know who's behind the drug world, the drug culture. We know who's behind all indecency and vulgarity and shameless conduct in our world. We know who's behind it. A lot of politicians don't. Men who are my age that are still in Congress uh, grew up the same time I did. Things were different then than they are now, but they don't know it. Apparently, they're just like the world today. They have no conscience. They have no conviction. They vote for whatever gets them votes. They're ruled by other people. And one day they'll die, and they'll have to face God because everybody in here will. 
And what do we do when we said him? I just wasn't interested in anything he had to say. You can't lie. There'd be no lawyer there with you at the great courts of God. You say, why did you not? And you'll say, because I did not want to. Why did you not worship, sing, or share, give, or walk, or do what I taught you to do? And you'll say, because I did not want to. I did not esteem your words to be greater than how I felt about it. That's why I didn't do it. And a righteous God, a fair and righteous God, gives a fair and righteous sentence of death. But we ask for it. It's our choice, right? right? Amen. I'm just saying here that knowledge is what delivers us from all this stuff. I don't practice that because I know who's behind it. I don't bring items like that in my house because I know who's behind it. You can get snared by stuff. Read the last two verses of Deuteronomy 7. You can be snared. Just bring it in your house. Snare. Under the control of the grip of. Taken captive by the devil at his will. 2 Timothy 2. It can happen. All we have to do is just be blind or ignorant about what the devil does or assume it's just a little kitty thing. Oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, you, we don't mean it. Well, that's all you got to do. Just give in. And the devil who goes about like a roaring lion, he's looking for those whom he can devour so that he can do whatever he has to do. How do we escape the pollutions of this world? Is it possible to escape the pollutions of this world? Peter wrote, he said, if after they have escaped the pollutions of this world and they are again entangled in them. Do you know anybody that's ever escaped, at least looked like it for a while? And they get tired of this and then went back in it and now they're all the way back the way they used to be? Oh, jelly belly, he's back. The bunnies and everything else that everybody likes you to do, that, that's all back. It all comes back in your life. You escape the pollutions of this world, the thing that people criticize us for, the thing that people talk about how narrow and foolish you all are, and that, that church, they call us that church. They don't know who we are, what our name is. They just call us that church because of this way that we choose to live. And we're not real narrow. And God isn't through talking either. And yet the reason we're persecuted is one reason. There's a devil who wants you to give up and back off. He wants you to conform more to the ways out there where you be more accepted. And all there is out there on the other side of this is death. I'll tell you that, it's death. So knowledge gives us liberation. Let me tell you a second thing that knowledge gives us. Knowledge gives us a steadfastness, makes us steadfast, makes us unwavering. Two verses, James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and then First Peter chapter 4. These two verses go together. They mesh well. James chapter 1 and verse 2 through 4. You're real familiar with this. My brethren, count it all joy when you encounter or you fall into divers' temptations, trials, testings. What's the first word in verse 3? Knowing. Let me say this before I read the rest of it. You know why people complain and cry when they're going through trials? Because they don't know something. 
But the person who knows something is the one who has joy. Are you with me? That's what he said. I didn't write it. He said, brethren, count it all joy when you go through these difficult, grieving, terrible times in your life when it just seemed like God is somewhere else and you've missed it and you're under judgment or some kind of a curse and nothing's working for you. And sometimes it seems like that. He said, count it all joy. How can I do that? Knowing. Having been taught, told, warned, shown what's going to happen in your life in the process of growing up into Jesus, you're going to be tested. You don't even know what you believe until it's tested. You don't even know if you're honest until you're tempted to steal and nobody's watching. You don't even know how morally pure you are until there's a chance you could have an affair and nobody would ever know it. You're in another town, another state. That's when you find out what you believe. You're put to the test. Well, why would God do that? He already knows, but you don't. Obviously, the devil doesn't know. He's the tempter, isn't he? But you're both going to find out. You and the devil are both going to find out what God already knows. So you put to the test. But he said, now, when you know ahead of time that you're going to be tested, this is not some strange thing happening. This is what God is doing. Look at verse 3 again. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, so that patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Is that a growth? Is God taking us from A to Z or whatever you want to call that? Are we shown here that we are going from here up to somewhere else? And the process of getting there, the growth of getting from A to Z is being tested. You say you believe God. Well, do you? Let's find out. You believe in turning the cheek? Let's find out. You believe in counting it all joy when you're sued in court, giving your coat also? Let's find out. Let's find out. Sometimes you already know and God knows there's no reason, no need to test you or keep going through the same test over and over. You don't have to do that. But if you accept that, you probably will. I've had a trial one time with something, and I said, I'm not going through this again. I said, well, who are you to tell God? I don't know that I'm telling God not to. I mean, it might be the devil just trying to train me to, oh, you're supposed to go through trials every day. I said, I've already been through this enough. I know what I believe. I've proven myself. I'm not going to have it. And it stopped. But you're going to be tested. But you've got to know something or all you'll do in the testing is grieve, make six phone calls and cry and whine. <laughs> Why me? Until you know something. Now look at 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though something strange has happened to you. But what? What's the next word? Verse 13. But what? Rejoice. How can I rejoice in all of this trouble and turmoil? Let me read it again. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. It's going to happen as though something strange has happened to you. Rejoice inasmuch as you are partaker of Christ's sufferings. What does that mean? Christ in me isn't suffering. He's already suffered. Well, what sufferings going on? 
how did Jesus get into the wilderness? When Jesus was tempted by the devil, how did he get out there where the devil was? The Bible says specifically that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Forty days and forty nights. It was so difficult that at the end of it, God had to send angels to strengthen him. That's what he went through for me and you. But the temptation divinely arranged by God is not a way to see if you can fall. It's a way for you to succeed and to overcome. You can fall. You can fail. But it's not designed to make you fail. It's designed for you to overcome. All we want to know is what you say you believe. The faith that you say is in your heart, will you demonstrate it when the heat's on? Let's do that. Well, how can I do that? Let me teach you why. So you come to a church for a month of teachings on trials, overcoming and trials. And you begin to see that this is God's ordained way to grow you up from glory to glory to glory. You'll be tested and you'll prove yourself. And then you'll be tested and you'll prove yourself. The refiner's fire, he'll heat up the soup and he'll put you in it. And all the scum in your life will melt and come to the surface, be skimmed off until it gets pure. Or you can say, I don't believe in all of that and get out of that soup and go somewhere else and do what most people do, just do whatever they want to. But that's the way of death. I didn't write it. God has a way he wants us to live. Listen to these words from Isaiah about being refined. He said, behold, God said to his people, I have refined you. He said, but not with silver. I have chosen you in the furnace of affliction. Then if he chose us in the furnace of affliction, who didn't get chosen? Those who went out of the furnace. Not everybody's willing to be tested, are they? But happy are you if you are. Whom God loves, he chases, doesn't he? Corrects. Again, Isaiah 48 and verse 10. Behold, I have refined you in the furnace of affliction. I have refined you not like silver is refined, but he said, but I have chosen you in the furnace of affliction. You don't have to sin to have a trial. Jesus never sinned, did he? He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin, Hebrews says. When he was led out to the wilderness, it wasn't because he had done something wrong was going to pay for it. He was just going to demonstrate to the devil and to everybody else, because we're going to read about it, that he was a real deal. He was sinless. And when he came back from that time in the temptation, he came back in the city and the devil screamed out, depart from us. We know who you are. Right away. We know who you are. They knew him back from the time of creation. They knew him. They knew him then. We know who you are. Everybody he touched got healed. Didn't matter what stage or condition anybody was in, whether they were lunatic or whether they were born 
feeble or deranged or sick and ill or dying or broken up or palsied. It didn't matter. The power of God just touched them and bang, they all got healed. All of them. Didn't leave anybody out. He healed them all. All of them. He said to nobody, well, your sickness is for my glory. He didn't say that. He healed them all. There is power then in what he turns around and teaches. He told his disciples, everything that the Father has commanded me, you go teach others. And what he gave me, I'm giving to you. The works that I do, shall you do also. Didn't he say that? He did. And what we are armed with, when the disciples went out into the highways and byways of life, the apostles, to begin changing this world, you know what they were armed with? Words. Words. Words are designed to impart knowledge. But when people have been dense a long time, you have to labor in this business. You keep saying it because sometimes it doesn't register. So you say it again. In Mark 6, in his own hometown, the Bible said Jesus could there do no mighty work. He couldn't except lay his hands on a few sick folk and heal them. And the very next verse says, and he went about teaching in all these villages. Teaching. Teaching. Why? Because you've got to get some information into God's people. You've got to get their eyes open. God uses knowledge to bring you to a level of life that he has for you. Somebody has to teach us. We have to learn something that God has for us. It has to be. I can't go to church and just expect by doing all the rituals, come to a relationship of God. I cannot, as I said before, my daddy who was a Catholic, he did all the Catholic stuff. I mean, he beat on his chest and read his beads in the Hail Mary full of grace. He did all of that stuff all of his life. And never really knew, never, ever, really, ever knew what was in this book. He's never taught well, didn't they teach them? They taught them in Latin. I think they taught me Latin when I was in college. How would you know what that is? It was a way they were being robbed. There was a dark figure robbing all these people. I don't care how that sounds. I really don't care how it sounds. My father was a victim of it. So was my brother. The only hope for us is for God to send his word. Teach, preach, the word only, Paul said. When you go, whether they like it or not, in season or out of season, preach the word only. That's what I want you to do. Preach the word only. Let me give you a third thing, which is better than those two. Better than liberation and freedom from the devil. Get this one. John 17 and verse 1 through 3. This really is what it's all about. And this is the power of his word. John 17 and verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is life eternal. 
Boy, what is it, Lord? And this is life eternal, that they may know thee. Not hear about Jesus in the manger and the stone rolled away, walking on the water and feeding the thousands. Those are stories of his miraculous power. They're true. But he said, this is what eternal life is. Eternal life is to know. Is to know. Not know about, but to know in such a way that what you know affects what you do. How you live. The choices you're making. This is what to know means. All you men that are married, I know your wives, but I really know mine. I know mine much better than I know any of yours because we have a relationship. It's a give and take relationship with God. It's a give. He gives, you take. But you know something. You begin to know things. You inherently know. Sometimes you sense what's wrong because you've been taught, you've studied, you've leaned on God, spends enough time with him through the years that you just seem to know. There's something wrong here. There's something wrong about that. Your spiritual antennas go up. The Spirit of God has made you keen because God on the inside of you is making you aware of things that other people aren't aware of. He said, if somebody comes along, or is it Deuteronomy, was it 13? He says, and they perform a miracle. They do some great feat or something, and then they begin to teach you something that's not right. He said, don't you follow him. God is testing you to see if you love him or not. If you love him or you love tricks of the trade. If they teach not according to this word, they have no what? Light. And if you love darkness more than light, you'll walk in darkness. And you won't even know how deceived you were until you come to the end when you can't do anything about it. When it's over. What a terrible, terrible tragedy that has to be to come to a time in your life you can do nothing about it. And your life goes back, I'm sure there's flashbacks, and you see all those times you were too busy for God. You tended to ignore what he said, and God said, okay, you don't want it. You won't be bothered by it ever again. And you go through the rest of your life doing your own thing, miserable, not knowing, understanding why me and why things don't work. You reach the end of your life, and you were robbed. But you were robbed by choice. The devil is a thief, and he comes to kill and steal and destroy. But Jesus said this is what eternal life is. Eternal life is knowing God. Eternal life is knowing him, not knowing about him, not giving all the right answers, but it is in knowing him. Now, let me ask you a question. With the scriptures, how can I know him? What is involved theologically, spiritually? If I'm supposed to know him and knowing him brings eternal life, is there some specific way? How do you do this? How do you bring me this knowledge? Would you just follow me in three verses of scripture? Turn to Luke chapter 10 and verse 22. No man knoweth who the son is, but the father. That's true. And who the father is, but the son. And who else? And he to whom the Son 
will reveal him. Now, would you agree with me this morning that the only people who will ever know God are those people whom the Son of God specifically shows that to? Now, there's no other way to know. There is no other way to know. It is an act of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to show you who God is. There's no other way to know him. Not only did he say that, but in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and I'll quote this for you, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined into our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's all in Jesus. God has depicted in Jesus, has shown to us not only who Jesus is as the Savior and the Lord, but Jesus has said, and I'm also the revealer the one who teaches and shows and leads. I am your Savior. There is no other way. You cannot know it any other way. And 1 John, if you go back to the back of your Bible, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. Who gives us understanding? The Lord Jesus, right? That we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is a true God and eternal life. You hook that with John 17, 3, and you find that life is in Christ. If Jesus is our life, he's the one we submit to. Our allegiance goes to him. I personally cannot pledge my allegiance to a flag because I've already pledged my allegiance to Jesus Christ. I am a soldier and a pilgrim in this world. I pray for this world. I pray for the affairs of this world. I'm affected by things in this country, but my citizenship is in heaven. Amen. And I pray for those who run the country. When righteousness rules, nation is at rest. When it doesn't, we'll find out. I mean, uh, things don't go well. But this so simple. There's nothing difficult about what I've said today. It is simple things. If you want to know somebody, you spend time with them. You study them. You learn about them. You read what they say about themselves, if they can only be known by reading. You read what they say. You pray that God would give you an understanding of how that should be in your mind. But then you begin to pray, you begin to talk, you begin to bring your burdens to the Lord. He said, cast all your care on him, so you do that. You can't see him and you don't hear him, but you believe he's there. So you begin living like this, doing like this, talking like this, and he begins to change your life. You wake up in the morning so different than you used to. You have peace and joy. Actually look forward to the day. Have you ever gone to bed and a Monday was coming up and looked forward to getting up and going out on Monday? Praise the Lord. I have. I can't say, I've given him, oh, I'm so glad I'm up this morning. I don't do that. But I thought, you know, tomorrow I've got things to do and I will get it done. Praise God. I don't care what day it is. But there's something about what God does to those people who seek him. There's something about seeking first the kingdom. And the king and the king's ways and how to find pleasure in the king and to allow the king to rule you in this kingdom. 
and to walk in favor with him and to learn his ways and to give up rights to your life and let him do as he pleases is something marvelous about it. Again, I don't want to bore you with this. I don't. But just the other day, I was thinking, studying stuff like this, I thought, you know, years ago, there was a certain kind of a good struggle about getting things together and accomplishing things and having things. I said, here I am now, past 60 now, a little bit. And while I've been busy out here doing all this stuff, seeking and learning and going and sharing and teaching and doing what I do, God has so added to my life, added to our peace and what we have, that literally there's nothing I want. One of my kids said the other day, somebody said, I get you a birthday present. And I thought, and I meant it. I was serious. I said, there is nothing that I need materially. I said, I need a lot spiritually because I'm poor that way, but I don't need anything. What would you get me that I don't have or that I don't want? I went out and bought me a car for my birthday. (laughs) I'm just saying that one day you look back while you were questioning and wondering about all this. One day you look back and you're at peace. You're not struggling anymore. You're not afraid of dying or death or tomorrow anymore. You're not afraid of all that stuff. And all the stuff that rules people's minds and keeps them suppressed, you're free. Because he's done this. You didn't realize what stages he did it in, but you realize that he did it. No wonder Paul said, you know what my great goal in life is? That I may know him. Remember that in Philippians 3.20? That I may know him. The power of his resurrection. To be conformed to him through my struggles. To understand what he went through and how he overcame. I want to have the same attitude he had. I want to do it the way he did. I want to please my Lord the way he saved me. I want to do what I need to do. It's a wonderful thing to know God. It's a terrible thing not to know God. Because you're in darkness. You're never sure. Not quite able. You seem to be wandering and falling apart. I'm going to leave you with one last thing. How do you release knowledge? Once you have it, how do you release it? One word, faith. Faith. Faith is a display. You're showing what you believe when you act your faith. You do. Faith in the monetary system of this world means that's where you go for your needs. And if the interest rates go up, oh, what am I going to do? But when your faith is in God who owns and controls all of that, and you're no longer concerned if gas jumps 36 cents, it did me the other day. It did to you too. <laughs> Wednesday night, it was $3.21. Thursday morning, rolled in there and just filled her up, and I didn't even look. And I got through looking, I looked twice. I thought, $44. And it's $3 and 40 something cents. Uh, and there's a temptation. I can't believe gas go up that much. But, 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 time out. Has God not told you that he'll supply? He didn't say he would supply your need with a righteous grumble. He just said he'll supply your needs. So praise the Lord. The problem's his, not yours. Fill it up. Well, I can't afford to fill it all the way up. Then fill it halfway up. 
Well, how about a third? Well, fill it a third of the way up, but rejoice whatever you do. Amen. Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning for your word and for the work of your spirit in showing us what it means. And if we haven't experienced that, we ask you to do that. Lord, let us not wander in this life, especially wander through the, the aisles of religion our whole life and know nothing. But teach us your way, Lord. Give us a heart and a hunger for your word to learn what it means. You say so much about that in the Bible. Thank you for opening our eyes to what little we do see, for helping us understand the little bit that we do understand. I ask you to bless us this day, or this congregation, all those that are watching and listening with an understanding of your word. And I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.